first off, I guess I want to thank Paul for switching with me. I'm, uh, next week, Liz and I are going to be in Pennsylvania, and we're going to be pursuing our ABWE mission orientation. So we'll be doing that next week, and uh, we'd be out of town. So thank you, Paul, for switching with me. It was great. Um, I do have to say, I am disappointed, though, because uh, earlier this week, I was fired from the keyboard factory. I guess I wasn't putting in enough shifts. Um, and then earlier today, actually, I found out my toaster oven wasn't waterproof, and I was shocked. So, um, yeah, it, it was interesting, though, this morning, listening to Brother Scotty first, and then Brother Chance. Um, I'm talking on, if any of you could have guessed it from the sneak peek this morning, um, a giant message. We we're speaking on David and Goliath. And it's just, it's interesting how God uses things like that to just kind of confirm you and your preaching. I and Brother Scotty speak on it this morning, uh, David, and especially through the Psalms. And then I and Brother Chance talked about it just for a minute there. Um, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of just feel God is kind of with you in something like that. And it just it kind of reassures you. And it's just a blessing, um, I guess, to have been like this in our church. So uh, thank you guys for that, too. Um, my main points we're going to, there's actually going to be four, which I always stick to three, but just through this, I, I had to put four, and I already cut out 17 verses, because it was going to be too long, so I will get you guys out on time, I guarantee it, um, but my points are going to be, who are the people God uses, we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk on character, and whether or not it matters, and you'll be surprised, I guess, what popular belief is, maybe you won't be, but we'll talk on that, we'll speak on how do you handle the small things, Right. The Christian life, how do you handle the small things? And then we'll talk on who do you rely upon. All right. So this is the story of David Goliath. I know you've all heard it. Um, maybe you've not heard it in such detail. Maybe you have. But um, I wanted to do it, and we're doing what I want to do tonight. So we're doing it. Um, so we're going to start off in 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to go from 23 through 58. Um, but to get to where we're at, you had to know some of the story, what's going on before. And I know most of you do know this, and I forgot to record. Well, I hope someone else has it on recording. Um, we're going to, something that's already been spoken of through the Bible, once we got to this point, was David was already anointed at this point, at 1 Samuel 17. He's already been anointed before all of his brothers. All of his brothers, you know, got past, and it went down to um, David. Just a heads up, I'm going to call David Daniel a lot tonight. So if you guys are like, what is he saying? Just bear with me. I'm sorry. I will call him Daniel a lot. And then Goliath has already challenged Israel. He's been challenging them for 40 days now. So that has to be seen before we start with scripture. And then David brings his brother's food. He's there in the first place because he's obeying his father, bringing his brother's food. David has been playing his harp for Saul when he got into the evil spirits that would come upon him. And David would play his harp for him. So this has happened. So Saul already knows who David is. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 23 in chapter 17, all right? So let's begin. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them, right? So everyone knows, starting of the beginning of the story, you have a great big giant. You can't have the story of David and Goliath without the big giant. Um, 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. 
So, two things here. We're talking about Israelite armies. Something they relied upon, right, because we're talking about who are the people God uses. What is something the Israelite army relied upon here? The only thing we see them rely upon here is their eyes. How many times as Christians do we go through our Christian life and rely on nothing but our eyes? We see, this is too big for me. No, there, there's this giant in my way. There's this battle I can't win. Just like the Israelite army, they just use their eyes. That's what we're doing as Christians in these, these you know, late days of the Christianity right before God comes back. He'll come back soon. Just be waiting for him. You know, times are going to be rough. They are. You know, they're, they're, they've already been told that they're going to be rough. But you guys can't just use your eyes to look about what's going on, what's going around this world. You have to use something else. David will show us what we'll be using here. Um, and the second thing about this verse is, if you notice that children of Israel haven't changed a thing since Moses, right? what was the reason they didn't come into the promised land? They saw giants. This is literally where Goliath's kin, his, his great-great-grandparents, right? So they, they knew there were these giants in the land, and they didn't go in. Forty years they had to spend in the wilderness because they wouldn't obey and go in because they were scared of something they saw. The children of Israel haven't changed. Their armies are still scared to go and fight. They were children of Israel that were promised by God you know, to, to be multiplied, the sands of the earth. They, 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 had Jesus, they, they would soon have Jesus Christ come as the Messiah. They would they'd be the promised people of God. And they, they could care less because there was a giant. There was one man in their way. 24 and 25. Um, we'll read 24 again. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter make his father's house free in Israel. All right, so we look at the motivation for the men of Israel. Right, they were, they're talking to David here, and they're talking about what is their motivation. You get great riches from the king. You get the king's daughter, right? And then you get his house would be free. And what that meant was that you'd be tax, you'd have tax exemption. You wouldn't be paying taxes. And your family would not be called to battle when... The, the king would call the people to go fight. This meant. I mean, that, that is, I mean, nothing's changed really for us either, has it? I mean, most guys, I mean, say about 19, they're in Bible college or just college, doing whatever, or they're just working. Their motivation is money, is to get a wife. I mean, that was my motivation at 19, was work, get through Bible college and get a wife, and it, it all worked out, so worked great for me. But that is most young guys my age. I mean, most, most of these guys, that was what they were looking for. These specific things. And this was their motivation. But what was David's motivation? 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed the Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All right, so what do we see from David here? David's not like these men. David's motivation wasn't just, hey, there's a pretty girl, I'm going to marry the king's daughter. It wasn't just that there was riches. And sure, he was motivated by that, because multiple times you'll see in these verses, he talks about, so what happens if I kill this giant? But his motivation was, there's somebody talking against my God. There's somebody talking against the people, God's chosen people. And not one of you is willing to stand up and fight this guy? I mean... 
where are the men of God? Where are the guys who will stand up and fight? Who will, who will stand up and say, no, this is my God. I will fight for him. I'm the guy who's willing to go out, and I will take on this giant. I mean, how many of us are going to stand up and be that person? Most of us, um, quite a few of you I know have beautiful voices, and you won't even stand up on a Sunday or a Wednesday night and sing in front of a, a, the, the mic and sing a song in front of friends and family. Most of us won't do that. Most of us are just going to sit in these chairs and do nothing and just smile and say, oh, good job, you did a good job on your sermon, and then just keep it at that and not grow at all in the Christian life. Not that you know, singing in front of a mic makes you more of a Christian, but you're, you're not looking for more. You're not looking to grow or be strengthened. You're not looking for more. You're, you're happy where you're at. You're plateaued. You know, you're happy to hide behind somebody else, and that can't be good enough. That can't be good enough for Christian men and women of God. Back on my notes here. 27. 27. Um, and the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. So it's confirmation to da uh, David, not Daniel, David in verse 26 that these things should happen. Next point we're going to get into is character matters. William J. Clinton said, Character doesn't matter. Now, when he said this, he was talking about in a presidential debate. And maybe it doesn't matter for a president. I mean, we can kind of see that it doesn't matter. Character doesn't matter if you want to be a president. It doesn't matter if you want to be in government. It doesn't matter for society or the world today. I mean, we can see that happen. But what about here in the house of God? What about in your daily life? Does character matter? It mattered for David. Rush Limbaugh said, leadership descends from character. Let me say that again. Leadership descends from character. So you can have you know, the most beautiful, elegant person come up and stand and speak and try and lead somebody. But if they don't have character, then it does not matter. They will fall flat on their face. They will mess up. They will be destroyed. It, it will come to nothing eventually. Because character descend, or leadership descends from character. So we see, where's the rest of the, the Israel's armies? They're, they're cowering. Where's their leader? He's cowering, looking for someone to go fight. Where is David? David's showing his character, and he's going to go, and he's going to fight this giant. But before we get there, let's read these verses. Um, 28. And Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Elab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now notice, he, here he's being as condescending, as mean as possible. I mean, everyone's had, if you have a brother, you've had these arguments with your brother, and this is definitely one of them. Why camest, uh, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? He's not, he's not like your sheep, he's like your few sheep. He's making as little as possible in the wilderness. You're nobody from nowhere with nothing. I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. What a guy thing to say, though, right? Like, you've only come down so you could see the really cool swashbuckling sword fighting. That's all you've come down for. You didn't come to obey. Like, I mean, what a brotherly thing to say. And he, I mean, he picked, he picked, he probably nitpicked the worst things he could find. But how does Dave, David handle this? Does David go and 
you know, get angry and make his fight instead of with Goliath and the Philistines, make it with his own brother? Was he about to fall into this trap? He shows character. Let's read 29 together. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? All right, so in 29, David says, I've done nothing wrong. But he is just in my, I'm just in my fight. My fight is not with you. My, my, my fight is with Goliath. I, I've done nothing to you. Stop, like, stop being, get, get out of my way. My fight is not with you. My, my, my cause is just. My fight is just. And he doesn't waste time arguing with his brother in this situation. Showing his leadership. Um, you'd have to think his brother, though, is upset in the situation. He, he's probably ashamed that he was, he was not the one anointed. His brother David was. He's probably embarrassed that David's saying, I'll go take on this giant. I'll fight this guy. And he has not. He's bigger, he's older, he's stronger. You know, there's all these things that are probably weighing on his older brother, and I should be the one doing this, but I won't. I'm too scared. And David's saying he'll go and do it. So, I mean, you you get the mindset, I guess, where his brother's at. But then you see David show his character and his quality. 31 and 32, we see... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, let's read 30. And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. So David's like arguing with his, uh, not arguing with his brother, but telling his brother, hey, my fight's not with you. Now tell me again when I win, I get the girl, right? Like that, that, you know, that David goes straight from like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. That, that's not my fight. And then he goes and he's like, now tell me again, what happens when you fight that giant? What happens? Like, you, you get to marry the king's daughter, right? You get the riches and your house is free. So this is what happens here uh, in 30. 31. 31 32, Saul hears David's willing to fight. And when the word were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistines. So again, David showing his character. He's doing something that not the strongest man in all of the war will fight, or of the Israeli army will fight. He's doing something the king, who is head and shoulders above everybody, he, he's doing something that he won't even do. He's showing his character. He's leading by example. He, he's showing them, hey, you know, I can do this, and nobody thinks I can, but I can do this. I'm going to show you how. And he's going to show us how he does this. Thirty-three. Saul's going to think that David's not able to win because why? He's using his sight again. The, the children of Israel will fall into this trap time and time again, where they rely on their eyes. And as Christians know, we cannot rely upon our eyes. That you, there's more than just our eyesight th- that goes into the Christian life. And da- David knew something of this. Thirty-three. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistines to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So, I did a lot of research through this, and I researched a lot of um, MacArthur through this, and he came up with a lot of other points on David's age. The Bible doesn't tell specifically his age, but it talks about David being a young man. Um, and 
Well, I'll, I'll read on and we'll, we'll talk about that a little more. Next point is how do you handle the small things? Okay. Now we're going to find out Daniel, or David, there it is, David, his small things were a whole lot bigger than our small fights, our, our, our small things in life. How do you handle the small things? 34 and th through 37. Or read those. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivereth me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So David was anchored in faith with God. Because when he was on his own, God used him, whether he was seen or not seen. And that, that is, I, I could have put this again with character. Because character is what you do when nobody's watching. No, nobody was watching David while he was watching the sheep. That was his job, to watch things. He was using his eyes. Right? And he learned how to use his eyes, and he was watching the sheep. And when he saw something, he didn't just say, oh no, there's a lion, there's a bear, I see what's going on, now i got to hide. What did he do? He used more than just his eyes. He trusted in God. He used his brain, he used, hey, I can't do this in my power. I cannot physically care, kill a bear, and I cannot physically care, kill a lion. So what did he do? He relied upon God. He used God's strength to do it. Christians, this is what we're supposed to be doing. To David, you know, this was a big thing at the time, but really, in the, the scheme of his story, these, these are some of the, actually the smaller things of David's life. When God calls you to do something, you sweat the small things. You know, you know I'm not saying die on every hill. I'm not saying that you've got to fight everything to the death. But when God calls you specifically to do something, like protect his sheep and protect his, what his father had put him in charge of, you sweat the little things. You do the little things. You do them by detail. You have character. When no one's watching, you get those details done. This is what, as Christian, this is what we are to do. We're not supposed to be like the world, where you get away when someone's not watching with whatever it is. When with God in front of men, it was no different. David was ferociously protective. He was steadfast and courageous in caring for his father's sheep, whether people were watching or not. And because he did that when no one was watching, it made it that much, he was that much more confident to do it when people were watching. When nobody cared, when nobody was going to pat him on the back and say, good job, he continued to do the best of his ability. He had character and he had quality. So when he was in front of everybody, he was again ready to do it in God's strength and in God's might, not in his own. All of this came from a shepherd boy, right? All of this came from a shepherd boy. Who do you think was the real shepherd in Israel at this time? Supposed to be the king. He was supposed to be protecting his people. But what did he do? He used his eyes. He saw the lion and the bear, and he tried to get someone else to fight his battle. What did David do? He saw the lion and the bear, and he fought his battle. Then he fights the king's battle. Who's the shepherd there? Next, and the last part of this is, who do you rely upon? Who did David rely upon? Who did the Philistines rely upon? Really, who did, who did the Israelites rely upon? 
38 and 39, we'll read those together. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with thee, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. All right, so if you've got really good VeggieTales theology, you know that David was actually a little asparagus guy, and Goliath was a big pickle, right? So David is this little short guy who, who helmet is just rattling on his head, and he can't even pick up the sword. He's got to drag it with him the whole way. Right? Is that not how most cartoons and most movies show David to be this skinny little kid who, who can't do really anything? According to MacArthur and from the studies I've done, I don't think that's correct. I think David was actually a pretty decent sized guy. Um, and of course we know that when he was anointed, he wasn't the biggest of people. But what it says here is, most people are going to take this, well, he couldn't wear his armor because he was too small for his armor. Well, that's not what scripture says. So the word here is proved. He says, for I have not proved them, and David put them off him. Um, proved means to, in the Hebrew, when I look this up, it means to try, means to attempt, or means to test. He, he's never used armor in battle. How come? Because he's a shepherd. He was not only a shepherd, but he's a lowly shepherd. He had a few sheep in the wilderness. Why would he have ever used armor? If you're a football player, for anybody who's ever played football, and all you've ever played was with your brothers and with your friends at school, you don't have pads, you don't have a helmet, you don't have cleats, you don't have the gloves that catch anything, you don't have these things. So you're, you're going with playing with your brothers constantly, and then they put you in your first game. All right, then you put on the helmet, you put on the armor, and what happens? You start dropping passes, because now you can't see all the way. Because you got this helmet on, you can't see you know, this peripheral vision that you, you, that you had when you didn't wear the helmet. And now you have this armor that's protecting you from getting hit. But at the same time, you can't move like you were before. Now you're heavier. Now you got stuff moving in your joints that wasn't there before, right? So for the first couple games, you're not going to be doing as well. That's just how it is. So why would David, in the most important fight of his life, never, who's never worn armor, put on all this armor that probably weighed, you know, a good couple dozen pounds? You know, he, he would be slow. It, it just didn't make sense. He's not tried it. He's not tested it. You know, he, he didn't use a sword before. He has a staff and he has a sling. So, it, so when scripture says Saul was head and shoulders above people, that was when he was king over Israel, when he was first anointed king. And you have David come along. He grows up. Now, I believe David was about close to the same size because he could wear his armor. He could use his sword. And then we know later on he would use Goliath's sword. So, I mean, you had to be a pretty big guy to be able to use Goliath's sword. Now, I know that probably didn't have no, a ton to do with any of the story, but it's in Scripture, so we have to go over it, and I feel like it was fun to study, so I hope you liked it, too. 40. And he took his staff in... Let's see. Yep, 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones and out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So, at this time and age... Shepherds, unfortunately, had to be called to battle sometimes because not all the time you had enough troops to fight the battles. So sometimes shepherds would have to come and fight, and these would, in fact, be the tools a shepherd would use in a fight. It wasn't completely uncommon. Of course, they weren't state-of-the-art weaponry. It wasn't like most people were bringing staffs into a fight. You know, it'd be like bringing a knife to a gunfight. That's just dumb, but, you know, sometimes it's necessary. 
Um, so that, that it was necessary that time for some shepherds to bring their staffs and their slings. Uh, so we see that is what happens with David. Um, and then also interesting fact there is David would continue on um, to get mighty men who would fight for him. And one of his mighty men would go and kill the Egyptian, one of their greatest heroes. He would go and kill him with nothing but a staff. Uh, it's just an interesting thing that, you know, David did it first. You know, he brought a staff to a battle, kind of. And then his men would go and do that and actually kill somebody with it. Interesting thing there. 41 and 42. And the Philistines came on, on, I'm sorry. And the Philistines came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. So, in my mind, it's kind of cheating. You know, you have this whole champion thing where, like, my champion comes out and fights your champion, and whoever wins, the other army becomes servants to you. Like, these are the rules to the game, all right? And which was a common thing back then because, you know, you didn't want everybody dying. And th there wasn't any reason for that. You know, just have one champion fight the other one. It was common back then. But not only did Goliath come out with a sword and a spear, he came out with another guy holding a big shield around his feet. Like, I kind of feel like that's cheating. Like, I, I would be like, this is wrong. Like, where's the ref? He needs something. But anyways, back at um, 42. Uh, 41, actually. 42. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy and fair of countenance. All right, so ruddy does not mean small or young, skinny child. It actually is referring to the healthy color in the young man's face. It means his face was red, because he was a young guy, and he'd never seen battle. He wasn't a hardened warrior. He, you know, Goliath was expecting maybe King Saul or some great warrior who's killed dozens of people, but no. Uh, they send out this little farmer guy, no armor on, right? He's got his stick, and he's got his piece of cloth, and he's got five stones with him. So now he's upset. He's like, you send me this, this kid to fight. Like, what's going on with this? 43, and the Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staffs? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So David, or, they make fun of David here for fighting like a shepherd and not like a real warrior. Okay? So 44. This is where I think it gets interesting. Okay? 44. Here we get into a good old-fashioned trash-talking. Right? Because no battle is complete without trash-talking. Miss Wiggins knows basketball is not complete without trash-talking. You might call it smack. You might call it bad-mouthing. If you remember the Sandlot movie, then you know that you play baseball like a girl, the greatest insult of all time. This is probably something they said while fighting David and Goliath. You do not know. Um, if you know NBA basketball, you know Dennis Rodman, Reggie Miller, Larry Bird, so on, Michael Jordan, you have all these names, Gary Payton, the great trash talkers. What was the reason for the trash talking? All right, you got into somebody's head. You got them upset. You got them off their game. All right, so now, now they're upset. This is all they can think about. They're thinking about, how can I get this guy back? How can I get this guy back? Right, and their head's not where it should be. And because they could get people so upset this way, they would either get technicals and kicked out of games, or you could put this in, like, the fighting scenario or whatever it is. They would just be so off their game because they'd be so upset that somebody would say something like that to them that they, they were off their game. They couldn't play right. They couldn't fight right. They, they, they just... 
it messed them up the whole rest of the game, whole rest of the fight. So this, you kind of see this going on here. It's just a good old-fashioned trash talking, and it goes on for like three verses. It's awesome. Um, let's see. And the Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field." Then said David to the Philistine, "Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear." And with the shield, I think he was a little upset about that part because he added the shield part. Like, there's another guy coming in with the shield. Like, that's cheating, but no, we're going to mention that. But I came to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. So you can see his motivation is still here, right? This is why he's coming, because you've said these things. I'm going to come and I'm going to kill you. All right, let's see 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. All right, notice here. Best part about trash talking, trash talking 101, you got to one-up the guy, okay? If anybody needs help with that, I can help you with that. Trash talk from way back. And take thine, right. this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give thee, give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowl of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen? All right, so you see David, now he's, he was threatened with, he's going to be killed and fed to the fowl of the air. Well, David says, I'm going to kill the Philistines, like, I'm going to kill a bunch of you guys, and I'm going to feed you guys to the birds, and I'm going to feed you to the beasts. Like, not just me, I'm going to kill all of you guys, like a bunch of you. See, so he's this one-upmanship, it's awesome. Um, then we see in 47. 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you unto our hand. Notice he says our hand. He's not saying, I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to do this in my strength. He's saying, we're going to do this, right? And I mean, sure, he's probably saying Israel here, but Israel is under God, Jehovah. He's saying, in God's strength and in God's might, we're going to defeat you guys. We're going to kill you. 48. And it came to pass when the Philistines rose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. So he was ready. He's ready. He's just waiting for them. They come out to meet him. He runs and he gets out there to fight. He wasn't worried. He gets out there to fight. Forty-nine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead. That the stone stone stunk. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Tongue tied. Um, so, just to unpackage this a little bit, we talk about that sling. The sling was something they used in war at that time. It wasn't like this, you know, the most random thing anyone had ever seen. And it was just so peculiar. You know, he was just caught off guard just that much, and it got him. It, it, it was something they used. You can still find it in the Middle East. Um, something that they would have used there, and you could sling up to three-inch stones, 100 miles an hour, at 600 feet of range. So yes, it wasn't state-of-the-art like a bow and arrow, but it could still be used. Like, I mean, it would have been like the knockoff brand, but it could still be used. And people are actually very, like, within centimeters of accuracy. They're, they're very good at it. So David was probably very good at it as well. Not that it was the weapon that killed him. I mean, he could have used a pancake and killed him in God's might. Like, it wasn't the sling, but that is what the weapon was used for. So you see here that the giant dies. He falls forward into the valley because they're fighting in a valley. 50. So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. 
Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took a sword, and drew it out of the sheath, therefore, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So you see, the Philistines don't keep the terms of the fight, right? So also, at the same time, you have this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, okay? So you have my last picture. You have a shepherd sent by his father, right? Both of them did that. He is obedient. He's misunderstood and unfairly accused by his own brothers. And he ends up saving the people. Beautiful picture. Like all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture, you see these beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And it's a beautiful way to show people, like, especially like the Israel people, the Jewish people, like they loved King David. They loved King David. Well, King David was a picture of what Jesus would be coming and doing. Like, and if only they could see that. And that, I mean, that's part of our job as Christians to show them, hey, look at here's Jesus Christ. Like, you know, you, you see David, but let me show you the story. Fifty-two. All right. So, give me your imagination for a minute. I'm going to read fifty-one through fifty-two, and then we're going to go through a bit of the Patriot scene. Surely most of you, if not all of you, have seen the Patriot. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took a sword and drew it out of the sheath. Therefore and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sherem, even to Gath and unto Ekron. Right, so if you've seen the movie The Patriot, you get to the end battle. It's been raging on for a while. They, they're doing all of their trick plays and things. They're tricking the British into advancing on them. And all of these scenes are going on, right? All these battles going on. And then you have the main character, who's Mel Gibson. Anybody you know, who's wondering? Mel Gibson. I think his name is Ben in the movie. And you know he's fighting. There's a guy who kills a couple of his sons. And he has the opportunity to go fight this guy. So he's getting ready to like drop everything and go kill this guy. But at the same time, he has one of his French counterparts who's one of the, the commanders in the army. And he yells at him, Ben, Ben, the line is breaking, the line is breaking. And Ben, he turns around from looking at this guy off in the distance he wants to go kill, and looks and he sees all of the American Patriot guys, they're running down the hill. And they're, they're all American versus British. And all the British guys are attacking, they're bayoneting Americans, Americans are dying left and right. You see the American flag pool guy, he, he's running with the American flag and he's running back down the hill and all the guys are retreating. Just all of them retreating. The, the British are going to win the day. So Ben sees this, and he, he drops what he's doing. He runs. He grabs the flag out of the other Americans' arms, and he runs up the hill against the British, shouldering guys, and gets his way all the way up the hill, pushing people out of his way, gets to the top, and yells, hold the line! Hold the line! And then you see all the Americans turn around, and they're just flabbergasted by Like, he got up the hill. He made it. He made it, and then they, they pick up their guns and their bayonets, and they charge back up the hill. And you see British dying left and right, and it's like this miracle. And the, the Americans just run up the hill and see old glory waving up in the sky. And they go and they take the field that day. I, I imagine this is the closest thing I could think of to what David must have felt like. And the people of Israel, you see David, this little farm boy guy, who, who shouldn't amount to anything. He goes out and kills the greatest warrior of possibly all time. He goes and he kills him in God's strength. 
and he gets on him and he cuts off his head and he's holding up over the giant's head and you know, we won, we won. And you see the Philistines taking off. And all the children of Israel get up and take off after them after they broke the truce, what would they would be their slaves. So they get up and they take off and fight. See this beautiful scene of what war is like. And you see what happens when somebody fully lets God use them to the fullest potential that he has for them. I'm not saying you're going to go kill a giant. I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to go chop off anybody's head. I hope you don't. But what I'm saying is God can use you for something great. Are you willing to let him use you? It, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter, you know, what, how much money you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are. God can use you if you let him use you. You have to be willing. 53, move on. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. Right, so all the Philistines left, so they got all the treasure out of their tents. 54, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So he goes and he takes Goliath's armor, he puts it in his tent, right? But, you know, he goes and he takes Goliath's head, and he just takes it over to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not a place that was occupied by Israel at this time. That would be the first place David would go and conquest against, actually. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he shows him Goliath's head. And he's just like, hey, 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 look it. I got your champion. I got the champion. I'm coming for you next, right? Because he's a trash talker. He knows how to do it. So he pulls the head out. He probably has a sword, too, right? So that's what he does. He, he gets out there. He, he, you know, he, he takes it to Jerusalem. He takes it to the enemy. Um, 55 and 56, we'll do that together. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? All right, notice he doesn't ask who's David. He asks, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, inquire those whose son the stripling is. Again, stripling means young man. Um, so what's going on here is yeah, he's just like, okay, so now this guy is going to marry my daughter. Right? He, he just killed the giant. So whose family did I just allow into mine? Like, what is going on here? All right, so you have all this stuff going on here. And then 57, yeah. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. So David still has not let go of this head. He's still just carrying it around with him everywhere he goes. You have to imagine he's got that sword and he's got the head dripping blood everywhere. He's probably covered in blood after beating up all the Philistines and killing all of them. And he comes in here and is like, so where's your daughter? Like, all right, you ready? Like, you know, he's got to be like, give me the giant back. Give me the giant back. No, we'll fight Goliath again. Like, just back off. Like, you got to wonder what's going through everybody's heads at this point. Fifty-eight. Here's our last verse we're going to talk about. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, this is important here, okay? I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Right, he makes his father proud. Right, what, what did he do? He came up and was like, hey, this is, now, I am the son of Jesse, your servant. You know, it, he did this thing where his father could look at him and be proud because what he, he did everything right. He, he didn't just use his eyes to fight the bear or the lion or, or the giant. You know, he, he used God. He used God's strength. 
he stressed the little things that God put in his life. You saw him, pull my notes back out here. You saw him um, be used of God. You saw him in his leadership role. You saw his character when it mattered. And you saw him rely upon God. You saw him do all these things, right? And it brought honor to his, to his father. Something that everyone should be striving to do, especially while you have a father here, is bring honor to your father. But more importantly than that, you have a father in heaven. How are you bringing honor to him? Are you stressing the little things in life? The, the little battles God's giving you? I mean, sure, it's easy enough to say, you know, God, I've got this big mountain and, or this you know, big giant in my life. God, I've got this big giant. I need your help. Like, I can't do this on my own. But when it comes to the little things, no, I got this. You know, it's easy. You know, I think Chance talked about this morning. You know, the little things, it's, it's a lot easier to be like, no, I can do this. It's fine, God. I don't need your help. David went to God with those little things, including the big things. You saw how David relied upon God, even when it was the small things, when it was the big things, when nobody was watching, when people were watching. He constantly just relied upon God. You saw God use somebody who was a nobody. He, you know, uneducated backwater, you know, shepherd boy, poor. He, he was a nobody. But he showed character. He showed character when nobody was watching. He showed character how we fought the battle. He showed character in every way, in every possible spot in his life. He just showed character after character. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be like David. We need to show character. We need to, you know, all these points that have been over multiple times. We need to be that man. We need to strive to be that man. Because God is our father. Because we do these things in God's strength. How do you carry your last name? You know, we, we carry and we try not to carry it through the mud. You know, drag it through the mud. We, we try and uphold it. And so when people look at your last name, you think, oh, yeah, that's a good family. Well, you're carrying God's name. You're a child of God. How are you carrying his name? Last off, I just want to share a little story. Um, a story on how I did all these things perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know how biblical this is, but I felt like I needed to share it. All right, so this notes out again. So this is actually the story of my first date, um, and I'll show you how you know I was this David. Okay, so who are the people God uses? So the first time I saw Liz, or remember seeing Liz. Um, we went to this basketball game, and we both showed up randomly. Um, like I had just been coming because there, were, there was fun games. I'm sure her parents invited her along. But um, th my brothers were playing basketball at West Academy, and I'd come. And I was just enjoying keeping stats and hanging out with some of the friends because I had nothing going on in life. I was working at Cracker Barrel Night Maintenance overnights, and I was making money doing Bible college and getting about two hours of sleep, four hours of sleep maybe. So that was my life. So I come, and I'm wearing sweatpants, and I'm wearing an alien shirt, big green alien on the front that said, who freaking cares with the rainbow on the front? Because I didn't care. I was like, eh, nothing's going on in life. Who cares? I didn't comb my hair. I didn't do anything. So I come to this, you know, this place, to this basketball court, 
And of course, her dad comes up and like, so this is my daughter Elizabeth. And I'm like, oh, what am I wearing? And you know, I'm just, God uses pretty girls and ugly boys all the time, okay? God can use you no matter what. He can use you no matter your ability, no matter what you look like. God can use you. And be willing to be used of God. If not, he might be like Paul, not, not our brother Paul, but like Bible Paul, where he might just knock you off your high horse and say, hey, this is what you're doing. Just be obedient. Be, be ready to obey God. Character matters. So on my first date, you know, I am all about manners. I'm Mr. Manners myself. I am basically David. Because I showed up on my first date 45 minutes late. Yeah, I, I was, you know, so embarrassed. I was like, should I even go up to her front door or should I just say I was sick or something? Like, the GPS sent me to the wrong spot. It would not send me to the right door. For 45 minutes, I could not figure out how to get to her front door. So, you know, we almost missed, you know, everything, but we ended up making it to a movie. So, um, oh, yeah, I got to her front door 45 minutes late, and that was about the most embarrassing thing that ever happened in my life. But because I'm Mr. Manners, I did open the door for her everywhere else, so made up for it, right? How do you handle the small things? All right, so guys, if you're ever gonna date a girl, be smart. Make your vehicle look real nice. I dropped $300 on my $600 car thinking it would impress her. She did not notice a single thing that I fixed in the car. Not one thing. She didn't mention it. She said, oh, did you fix that? Not one thing. So, you know, how do you handle the small things? How do you, who do you rely upon, okay? Top it all off, we finally made it to this date. We went and watched a movie for our first date. And uh, we missed everything else because I was 45 minutes late. We get to the movie theater. We're about halfway through the movie. And I'm sitting there. Now, I just start sweating like crazy. Whew. What is going on? Like, maybe I'm just nervous. Like, I'm a nervous guy. Like, maybe I'm just nervous. No, I get sweat, beads rolling down my forehead. I, uh, you know, I, I feel all this. Anybody ever had a blood sugar drop where you feel like you're dying? This is what happened. All the, the, the salt in my mouth just seemed to, like, be gone all at once. I start sitting there in the movie theater, sweat rolling down my head. I, I start blacking out. All this the black screen rises up in front of my eyes so there's just a teeny little slit that I could see of the movie theater. And it, it finally comes back down. Excuse me, I need to get some water. So I, I, I almost fall over. I, I crawl out of the movie theater. I get there. I get to the concession stand. I hand them my, I get my wallet open, hand them my card, and point at the pretzel. Because I couldn't hear anything with the blood throbbing so loud in my ears. So I just point. I point at the pretzel. And they keep saying, I don't know what they're saying. They give me the pretzel. I start eating. Apparently, it's a two-week-old pretzel. It was hard as a rock. So I, I look in the mirror. I'm pale white. I get back in there, and I sit down. And I start to feel better. I eat my pretzel, and the, the rest goes pretty fine. Come to find out, Liz is like, that jerk. He went and bought himself a pretzel and didn't get me anything. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst date. So what I'm talking about here is the next day, go to Cracker Barrel where I was working, and they're like, so how'd your date go? Now, I was the last person they thought would get a date. But I, I got this date. Like, how would it go? I'm like, well, it went about as you think it would go. I bombed it about as bad as you could. 45 minutes late. I about passed out. It was horrible. No. Just hoping God makes it work out. And then I call her randomly, you know, the, the next couple days, and, hey, you want to go get some pizza? I'm in town. I was living in Spring Hill at the time. 
And she's like, yeah, sure. Well, fortunately, one of her friends had just told her, always give a guy three tries. All right, they, they get three dates. If they can't do the three dates, they cancel. You know, whatever, it's fine. Man, you know, I was praying, God, I know I am the least capable person of actually dating a woman successfully. You know, I am, I know I can't do it on my own, God. You're, this is all on you. This is all on you, man. You got to do this for me. Please, please make this work out. And I relied upon God, and because of God, he made a miracle happen. And, you know, we're married to, to this day. So that is my story and how I'm basically David. So, you know, God makes things work out in miraculous ways. Anyways, I'm done, so we're going to go ahead and pray.